0: Well, good morning, church. Good morning, disciple-makers. I'm excited and I'm honored to share part two in our disciple-making series today. Thank you, pastors Chris and Jody, for the opportunity. In fact, I know we already waved, but can we make some noise and just send some love to our pastors who are watching online? We will see you soon. Amen? We'll see you soon. Guys, and isn't it amazing how big and mighty our God is because he is fully here with us in the theater this morning and he's fully with Pastor Jody in her hospital room and he's fully with Pastor Chris at home right now. His attention is not divided. His power is not divided. Isn't that amazing? What a mighty God we serve. Clap your hands one time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, last Sunday, Pastor Jody unpacked our vision, our core values, and our mission, the destination, the banks of the river, and the boat, we were asked, what are you doing to advance the kingdom of God? Our vision, our destination is this, Destiny Church exists to advance the kingdom of God in our homes, in our city, and in our world. Our core values or the banks of the river are Christ, community, cause. Our mission, the boat, the vehicle in which we get to the destination is becoming, belonging, building. Building mature followers, excuse me, becoming mature followers of Christ, belonging to an authentic community, building kingdom causes. This morning, we're going to take a closer look at that first one, becoming mature followers of Christ. And if we were to define that word, becoming, we find it means begin to be, clear that you are in a totally new situation, mature, developed, advanced stage, grown. That is what it means to be becoming. I love that second part of the definition there. You are in a totally new situation, and it's clear. If you are becoming more like Christ, it is evident to others that you are in a new situation. There's a work happening inside of you. And if we were to really just shorten it, just nutshell it, becoming a mature follower of Christ is being a disciple and making disciples. If you remember from last week, maturity multiplies. Disciple-making is where our mission and our core values overlap and work together, giving us the best chance at accomplishing our vision. If you were to visit our website, and I encourage you to do that later today, scroll down to the bottom of the homepage and you'll find these three core values, these banks of the river. And you'll also see a statement and a scripture for each of them. I want to highlight that first one today, Christ. Christ Jesus is the center of all we do. He is our first love. We are committed to follow his leading and walk in prayer, obedience, and power. And that statement is not just fleshing out one of our core values here at Destiny. That statement must be foundational, load-bearing, and a pillar for any follower of Christ. Christ is committed to us. Have you seen it in your life? He showed it on the cross, and he continues to show his commitment to us over and over again. Are we committed to him? Are we committed to following his lead? Committed to prayer? Committed to obedience? Committed to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit within us? Committed to making disciples? The scripture that accompanies this statement is Isaiah 26, verse 8. Lord, we show our trust in you by obeying your laws. Our heart's desire is to glorify your name. We show our trust by obeying God's laws. It's not just lip service. We show it. It's something to demonstrate. It's something that we can prove. That shows that we're committed to him. We show it with our obedience. Obedience is not merely knowing something. Obeying is an action, amen? We show our trust in you by obeying your laws. And our hearts desire, in other words, the innermost core part of us has the strongest feeling and aspiration to worship, revere, and glorify the name of the Lord. And one of the best ways to glorify the name of the Lord is to make disciples that will glorify the name of the Lord. And then those disciples will make disciples that will glorify the name of the Lord. Of the Lord. And before long, if we're all just discipling one person, exponential and supernatural growth will take place, and we will see our homes, our city, and our world changed. Making disciples is the main takeaway of the Great Commission, found in Matthew 28 18 through 20. And the dictionary defines a commission as instruction command a duty given to a person or group of people a commission is a task an assignment marching orders if you will and the marching orders of every christian are to go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit and teaching them to obey everything jesus has commanded us and bonus Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is with us every step of the way. So, when we ignore that we've been invited and chosen for this purpose, when we refuse to obey the marching orders that we've been given, I think it calls into question our love for Jesus. Are we really following him? I know that sounds harsh, but Jesus said in John 14, 24 to 26, anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. I am telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. Kyle Eidelman, a pastor of a large church in Kentucky, wrote a book and preached a series titled, Not a Fan. Kyle says, quote, The biggest threat to the church today is fans who call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Christ. Our churches in America have gone from being sanctuaries to stadiums. And every week, fans come to the stadium where they cheer for Jesus but have no interest in actually following him. Oh, it's tight, but it's right. The question this morning is, how would we define our relationship with Jesus? Are we enthusiastic admirers, which is the dictionary definition of a fan, or are we followers, which is what being a disciple is all about? When it comes to fulfilling the great commission of Jesus, Making followers who follow him, we must be followers who are following him. Becoming a disciple and making disciples go hand in hand, but there are some differences in the process. Some places where the process overlaps and works simultaneously, but one must first be on their way to becoming a disciple of Jesus in order to effectively make other disciples of Jesus. Does it make sense? Jesus is looking for, and he expects us to be, followers and fishers, not just fans. We must be disciples who are making disciples. Luke 14, 26 through 28, Jesus said, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? This is serious, right? There is a cost, but there is also a great return on investment. So what? is a disciple the word disciple refers to a student or apprentice yoda said always two there are a master and apprentice that's the best yoda i got that's some wisdom from that jedi master and and i am no master but i recognize what god has done in my life I know the power of his word, and I understand his call, so it would be selfish and sinful for me to not share that with somebody else and help bring them to maturity in Christ so that they could then share it with somebody else. Disciples in Jesus' day would follow their rabbi, which means teacher, wherever he went, learning from the rabbi's teaching and being trained to do as the rabbi did. Parents, have you ever had this thought? Maybe you've even said it out loud. Do as I say, not as I do. Yeah? Who's who said that? Who's thought that? Students, who's heard that? Okay. That's not what discipleship looks like. Discipleship is very much do as I say and as I do. A disciple is a follower, but only if we take the term follower literally. And apply it practically. This is not like following someone on social media. When you follow someone on social media, you're aware of what they're doing, but you're not necessarily doing it yourself. You see that? This is much like the old song. I will follow you. Follow you wherever you will go. There isn't an ocean too deep or a mountain so high that can keep. This should be our song to Jesus. I love you. I love you. I love you. And where you go, I'll follow. I'll follow. I'll follow. In biblical times, when a rabbi, a teacher, extended an invitation to follow him, it did not mean come see me once a week for a couple of hours. And then we check it off the to-do list. Discipleship meant that a young person would invest themselves in learning everything there was to learn about their teacher's beliefs. Eventually, a student would become just like their teacher. Oh, to be just like Jesus. Oh, to be taking steps toward becoming more like Jesus. I mean, what else should we be striving for, church? As a kid, I played a lot of sports. I wasn't great at all of them. I was decent at a couple of them. And like many kids, one of the things I wanted to be when I grew up was a professional athlete. And I'd watch my favorite players, and I'd try to imitate their game. I got pretty good at copying Ryan Klesko's batting swing. He played for the Atlanta Braves for a number of years, then the Padres, maybe some other teams. I got pretty good at Tim Hardaway's crossover dribble point guard for the miami heat for a number of years some of you might know who these guys are i'd even buy their jerseys because i wanted to be like them i looked up to them and when i was playing i would try to play like them you might even hear me say as i shot a fadeaway jumper hardaway because i admire these guys another example many of you know i've been singing since i was a little boy. And so I have my favorite bands and artists and voices, and I've tried to mimic them from time to time. I can do a pretty convincing Rascal Flats and Green Day, actually. Yeah, perhaps those will make the cut for the next Serve Team Appreciation video. We'll see. (laughs) But the point is this. What if that is the approach that we had to Jesus? What if we didn't just admire Jesus and know some of his teachings, but actually patterned our lives after him and did what we see him do in Scripture? What if we talked like Jesus? What if we walked like Jesus? What if we reacted like Jesus? What if we followed him so closely that we got covered in the dust that was kicked up by his sandals? That's what would actually happen to the disciples when they followed Jesus. Now, many masters or rabbis would impose heavy burdens on their disciples, like religion puts on people. And that makes people walk around with this guilty conscience, like, I'm not good enough, I'm not doing enough. But Jesus did not do that to his disciples. The invitation of Jesus in Matthew 11 went like this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. When Jesus called his first disciples, they may not have understood where Jesus would take them or the impact it would have on their lives, but they knew what it meant to follow. They took the call of Jesus literally and began going everywhere he went and doing everything he did and they became like Jesus. Because it's impossible to be a disciple or follower of someone and not end up like that person. If you're really following Jesus, then you're going to look like Jesus. In Luke 6:40, Jesus said, "A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher." And that's the whole point of being a disciple of Jesus. Yet somehow Many have come to believe that a person can be a Christian without being like Christ. A follower who doesn't follow. That doesn't make any sense. Many people in the church have decided to take on the name of Jesus and nothing else. Can you imagine Jesus walking up to those original disciples and say, Hey, would you guys mind identifying yourself with me in some way? I mean, my name's Christ. Maybe call yourselves a Christian. And no, 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 I don't expect you to actually change your lifestyle. I don't expect you to do anything that I'm doing. I'm just looking for people who are willing to say they believe in me and call themselves Christians. That would be insane. No one can really believe that this is what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Christ. But then why do we see so many live this way? It appears that we've lost sight of what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. Many read these passages that we're covering this morning as if they were meant to inspire pastors on their way to the pulpit or missionaries on their way to the mission field. But Jesus' command is meant for you, you and you and you and you and you watching online. As we read the rest of the New Testament, we see God's people working together in obedience to the command of Jesus. They reached out to people around them, calling them to obediently follow Jesus. The disciples went about making disciples, teaching them to obey everything Jesus had said, and then baptizing them. Some of them even moved around intentionally, town to town, didn't put down roots so that they could tell more people about Jesus. They took the words of Jesus literally, seriously. Why is it we see so little disciple-making in the church today? Do we believe that Jesus told the disciples, the early disciples, to do one thing, but he wants the 21st century church to do something different? Paul saw the church as a community of redeemed people in which each person is actively involved in doing the work of the ministry the pastors are not the ministers at least not the only ones and not in the way we typically think of a minister the pastor is the equipper and every member of the church is a minister amen see yourself in the great commission jesus's command is to you to make disciples and we can give a number of reasons why we cannot or maybe should not disciple other people I don't feel called to minister. I just have too much on my plate right now. I don't have time to invest in other people. I don't know enough. I'll start once I get my life in order. And as convincing and as understandable as these excuses may seem to us, the commands of Jesus do not come with exception clauses. I'll just let it linger. That's a good one. He doesn't tell us to follow unless we're busy. He doesn't call us to love our neighbors unless we don't feel prepared. God made you the way that you are. And he has provided and will continue to provide you with everything you need to accomplish the task. Jesus commands you to look at the people around you differently. And start making them into disciples. And we know only God can change a heart and make somebody want to become a follower of his, but we just have to be obedient in making the effort to teach them, even though we still have plenty to learn ourselves, amen? Being a disciple means you will begin to look at the people in your life differently. Consider your first step toward disciple-making this morning. Whom has God placed in your life that you can teach to follow Jesus? Maybe someone immediately comes to mind. Maybe God's laying someone on your heart that you don't know very well. So your first step could be building a relationship with that person, establishing a rapport with them so that a door can open and so there's more receptivity from them. Maybe it's someone you've known for years, but God's calling you to take that relationship to another level. I want you to know God has placed you where you are, wherever you are in in your circles, and the people around you are not there by accident. So keep in mind the Great Commission every single day. And keep in mind that we're called to reach every type of person, those inside the church and those outside the church, those that are like us and those that are very different from us. Everyone needs to know who Jesus is and understand what it means to follow him in church. We get to be a huge part of that. It's all caps, bold, and underlined on my notes page. We get to be a huge part of that. And let me encourage you, because I know that's a lot. I know that's overwhelming. You're not alone. God wants you to view other Christians in your lives as partners in ministry. We all need at least three types of relationships in our lives. We need someone in our lives who's more spiritually mature than us, discipling us. We need people that are on the same spiritual level as we are, so that we can encourage and sharpen one another. And obviously, as we're focusing on today, we need at least one person in our lives that's less spiritually mature than we are that we can begin to disciple. God has not called you to disciple in isolation. He's placed you in a church body so that you can be encouraged and challenged by the people around you, and so that you can encourage and challenge them In return, more on that and belonging to an authentic community next Sunday. Don't miss it. But whom has God placed in your life right now that you can begin making into a disciple? Whom has God placed in your life that you can partner with in making disciples? Jesus himself said that he cannot do anything but what he sees the Father doing. If Jesus depends that much on the father, then you and I need to do the same. And just as a soldier makes a decision every day to train, a disciple of Jesus has to get up every day willing to take his yoke and walk with him. A disciple will learn how to learn from all experiences, not just the good ones, because our father, our master uses everything for our good to make us more like him. A disciple learns how to trust the teacher even when he's quiet, even when he seems unresponsive. In church, I've found over and over again in my life that the teacher is always quiet during the test. Jesus walked his disciples through this process of of development and maturing. He prepared the hearts of the disciples so that they would be able to recognize their shepherd. They were familiar with his voice. He made sure that they would know the helper when he was no longer physically with them. And he taught them to trust the Father's guidance and to depend on him for everything. And then he sent the Holy Spirit to remind them of everything Jesus had taught. And You and I are discipled and empowered by the same Holy Spirit. And he invites us to do the same. That's why you and I are here today because Jesus discipled 12 ordinary guys and after hearing the one who called them, they got up and followed him, walked with him, believed and received his message. And the message they believed transformed their lives so much that they died for it while being witnesses for the kingdom of God. Did you hear that? The original disciples were willing to die for Jesus. It's about time that we start really living in obedience for him. In John chapter 21, 15 through 17, we see this exchange between Jesus and Peter. Uh, Jesus gives Peter a threefold command to feed my sheep. And this is in response to Peter's threefold declaration of his love for Jesus. And the setting for this was that this was the last post-resurrection appearance of Jesus with the disciples. And he cooked them some breakfast. He made some fish and bread on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And then Jesus commissioned, gave the marching orders to Peter and the rest with the task of feeding his, his sheep, tending his lambs. And these three commands are often translated the same way, but there are some slight differences. I wanted to point them out. The first time Jesus says it, the Greek literally means pasture or tend the lambs. The Greek word for pasture is in the present tense, meaning continual action, ongoing tending to the sheep, feeding and caring for the sheep. Now, we know that believers are referred to as sheep throughout Scripture. That's because... Uh, Jesus is emphasizing the nature of a sheep in that it is immature and it's vulnerable and it's in need of tending and care. Remember, we're called to spiritual maturity. The second time, the literal meaning is tend my sheep. Jesus makes it a lot more personal here. This reminds us that all people belong to God, but he's commissioned us to steward our relationships with them. There's a call to accountability here. The Greek word is and it's the same one that Peter then used in his first pastoral letter, 1 Peter five two. be shepherds of God's flock that are under your care, serving as overseers. The third time, the literal translation is to pasture or tend the sheep. So we have tend the lambs, tend my sheep, tend the sheep. Here Jesus combines some different Greek words to make the job crystal clear. We are to tend, care for, and provide spiritual food for God's people from the youngest of lambs to full-grown sheep in continual action of nourishing and care for their souls, bringing them into the fullness of spiritual maturity. And I don't believe that this marching order was only given to Peter, but also the other disciples that were on the shore that day And because the word of God is timeless truth, they're marching orders for us as his disciples this day. Church, do we love them? Then we must feed, pasture, and tend the lambs and help them grow into sheep. Amen? Okay, we're going to shift gears right now. I'm excited to share with you the Destiny Church Discipleship Strategy. And wheel with you today. And our hope is that this will help you pinpoint exactly where you are on your spiritual journey. We also hope that it will help you identify at what stage someone you want to disciple is at. And we also want to provide you with some resources that will help you um, explore with them and help them grow into spiritual maturity. Because clearly, Jesus did not disciple people like Most churches have tried to disciple people. Jesus-style disciple-making is personal and relational. It's not only about information, but transformation. It's not only teaching, but modeling, coaching, mentoring. It's not a very formal thing. In fact, it's a real doing-life-together casual kind of thing it's not a large group thing or even a small group thing but like a one-on-one maybe one-on-three type of thing we see the example from jesus he had his community group 12 disciples from that there were three peter james and john that he intentionally poured into more i can't help but think that they were a little more mature than the other nine as a result Of that experience. I believe that's what real and the most effective discipleship looks like. Can discipleship happen in a large group on a Sunday morning? Certainly. Of course, wherever the Holy Spirit is and the Bible's being taught is going to be conducive to life change and spiritual growth. What I'm suggesting, and and teachers, maybe you could help me out, the size of the classroom, the amount of students in the classroom makes a difference in how well that material is then retained by the students, how deep you can discuss it, how well it's applied by the student. So, and remember, some of you already got this on the way in, but we want everyone to take one of these books as you leave today. This will flesh out in even greater detail what I'm about to share. It'll also give you a resource list and a link to where you can go to all of these resources we've identified And purchase whichever ones that you like. But the whole process of anyone's discipleship journey begins at salvation. It actually happens before then, Because in John 6, Jesus said that no one comes to me except the Father draw them. And so that's why you'll see some evangelistic tools in this packet. So that you can share the gospel with others. In this wheel, you're going to find four quadrants, each with a specific emphasis, share, connect, train, disciple. And you'll also find five stages of spiritual growth, dead, infant, child, young adult, and parent. And we'll work our way clockwise around this wheel. And this is in the booklet that you can take home today. The first quadrant is share. If you're talking with someone that does not know Jesus, then you need to share the gospel with them. After they become born again, you then share your life, your story, what God's done in you. Share the truth. Share new habits. A summary of what happens here is I do, you watch, we talk. And the two stages in this quadrant are dead and infant. Dead. Before someone gives their heart and life to Jesus, they're spiritually dead. When someone is spiritually dead, then their words and actions are going to reveal their unbelief. Some things you might hear them say, I just don't believe there is a God. The Bible's myth. Evolution and science is what's more important. Christians are hypocrites. There are many ways to get to God. I've been a good person, so I'll be okay. Everyone is a creation of God, but not everyone is a child of God. Those that are spiritually dead don't know that. They might not even know that they were a creation of God. But John chapter 1, verse 12 says, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. God wants all to hear the good news and to come to him. The person who does not have The Holy Spirit can't understand spiritual things. They need someone to share the truth with them. Some of the things that the spiritually dead need from us is a secure relationship with a mature believer. They need a picture of Jesus lived out in front of them. They might not pick up the Bible. Your life could be the Bible to them. They need answers to their questions and evidence for Christianity and Christ. They need an explanation of the gospel message, and ultimately they need an invitation to receive Jesus. The second stage of spiritual growth is infant. When someone is a spiritual infant, their words and actions reveal inexperience and dependence. Some of the things you might hear them say is, well, why do I need to go to church regularly? I don't have time for that. I've been hurt by people. I'd rather it just be a me and God thing. If I pray and read my Bible, will I be good enough? We understand both physical babies and spiritual infants need someone to care for them and feed them in order for them to grow and thrive. And 1 Peter 2 says, as newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk. Some of the things that the spiritual infant needs from us is personal attention of a disciple maker care and protection during these vulnerable and impressionable times in their life teaching and modeling new truths the second quadrant is connect first and foremost we want to make sure that this person is genuinely connected in relationship to christ and then community and then cause a summary of what happens here is i do You help, we talk. The stage in this quadrant is child. When someone is a spiritual child, their words and actions are going to reveal their focus on themselves. They don't know any better yet. They might be focused on idealism and legalism as well. Some of the things you might hear a spiritual child say is this church is getting too big. Who are all these new people? I didn't like the music today. I'm not being fed here. I need to go somewhere that meets my needs. The pastor walked right by me, didn't even say hello today. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul speaks of treating the readers as his own children. In 1 Timothy 1, he refers to Timothy as his own son. These verses and others make it clear that Paul was a disciple maker who intentionally invested in people who were less spiritually mature than him. Some of the things that a spiritual child needs from us is a relational connection to church family. Help so that they can start feeding themselves. Teaching about who they are in Christ and how to have a relationship with him and others. And modeling how to have a relationship with others. We continue clockwise. The third quadrant is train. This is when someone begins to think less of themselves and more about others and how they can serve them. This is where more training, practice, responsibility, and application is introduced. A summary of what happens here is you do. I help. We talk. You see the progression? The stage in this quadrant is young adult. When someone is a spiritual young adult, their words and actions reveal that their focus has shifted from themselves and onto God and others and how they can serve. Some things you might hear them say is, man, I love my small group. I really wish there were more for the people that aren't in one. It's awesome to see how many people are at church today. I've noticed we don't have, insert the ministry, can I start one? I'll tell you, man, there's not, I don't know what gets a pastor excited more than hearing someone say that not just point out that something's needed, but that they want to be part of the solution. That's a sign of a spiritual young adult. You might hear him say, there's a family in our church that's sick. Can we get some meals together for them? Romans 12 says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, Faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. A spiritual young adult needs from us a place to learn how to serve and then a place that they can begin to serve. They need a spiritual parent in their lives who can unpack and debrief experiences that they've had. They need ongoing relationships for encouragement and accountability, and they need help identifying their spiritual gifts how God's wired them. The fourth and final quadrant is disciple. This is where it becomes abundantly clear that someone's ready to effectively disciple someone else. They can explain the process. They are engaged in it and they're helping others to do the same. A summary of what happens here is you do, I watch, we talk. The stage in this quadrant is parent. When someone is a spiritual parent, their words and actions reveal their heart for mission and maturity and multiplication. Some of the things you might hear a spiritual parent say, we baptized a person from our small group this week. A guy at work asked me how to explain the Bible, this passage. Pray for me. Help keep me accountable in my discipleship relationships. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15 says, I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Some of the spiritual needs for a spiritual parent are ongoing relationships with other disciple makers, other spiritual parents, a church family to partner with, and peer accountability and encouragement. I also want to note that this discipleship process can begin at any part of the wheel. If you're beginning a relationship with somebody that doesn't know Jesus, then you obviously want to start at the very beginning. If you begin discipling someone that you know, and they've been at church for a while, but it appears that their relationship with Jesus is more about what they can get out of it, then you probably want to start at the spiritual child stage and focus on connection. And finally, we've put together a fairly extensive list of resources. We've identified some that we feel are core and then others that are more complementary or elective. And none of the resources that you'll find on the last page of this book trump scripture. Amen? That is the first and best resource but this list is a great collection of supplements to the holy scripture and some of these resources we believe will be easier for people to understand and will help explain the scripture to them so in closing this morning let me share the tale of the starfish i'm sure you've heard some variation of it before but there was a young girl walking down the beach And thousands of starfish had been washed up during a terrible storm. When she came to each starfish, she'd pick it up and throw it back into the water. People watched her with amusement. She'd been doing this for some time when a man approached her and said, Little girl, why are you doing this? Look at this beach. You can't save all these starfish. You can't begin to make a difference. The girl was crushed, deflated but after a moment she bent down picked up another starfish and hurled it as far as she could into the ocean then she looked up looked up at the man and replied well i made a difference for that one <laughs> it was like a mic drop right the old man looked at the girl inquisitively and thought about what she had done and said and he was inspired He joined the little girl throwing starfish back into the sea and then others joined in and all the starfish were saved we will not effectively make disciples through methods of mass production because that shortcuts the process and stunts real maturity but even if we are all just discipling one person exponential and supernatural growth will take place, and we will see our homes, our city, and our world changed. And I want you to see that. Check out this table. This shows the numeric difference between one person a day converting to the faith and one person a year being discipled into maturity. So year one, 365, added to the kingdom. Praise God. If only one person in here disciples another, We've got two spiritually mature disciples. Year two, you add 365, but you double the disciples. Year three, you add 365, but you double the disciples. And as you track down there, you see that something starts to happen, right? It's simple addition versus multiplication. By the time we get to year two, year three, that's crazy to see what God can do if we're all just discipling one person every single year. Isn't that cool to see? If that doesn't get you excited, then you need to check your pulse this morning. Okay? It would be amazing to see God add 365 people into the kingdom each year at Destiny Church. But our call is to make disciples. Not just sell fire insurance. Church, this is the long game and the marching orders are clear. If 16 years from now, Destiny Church could either see 5,840 people come to faith in Christ or see 65,536 people discipled into maturity in Christ, which would you rather see and be a part of? The answer is clear. Every person being discipled and making at least one disciple each year is how to multiply maturity it makes me think of exodus 4 and i've shared that before where moses is arguing with the lord and he's like god what if they don't believe me what if they don't listen to me maybe that's how you're feeling this morning like god's already put someone on your heart that you need to begin a discipling relationship with but what if they don't receive it what was the Lord's reply? He said, what is that in your hand? And it was his shepherd's staff. And the Lord instructed him to throw it down. It became a, stick, a snake. He picked it back up and it turned back into his staff. What's the point? The Lord is asking Moses to consider what he had at his disposal. He asked Moses, what do you have to offer? And I believe that's what the spirit of the Lord is asking you today. What do you have to offer? What do you have that I can use? Where have I placed you? Who do you know? Start with one. Just start where you are with what you've got. Answer the call and just see what God does with your obedience. You and I are called to make disciples that make disciples. We have to follow and make followers. let's start carrying out the marching orders, amen?